Welcome to Poets Out Loud, the podcast series of Poetic Justice Institute at Fordham University. We explore the power of poetry to transform the world through acts of the imagination and the energy of new language. On this podcast, we will speak to movers and shakers who will help you understand the world around us and how to change it. Poets Out Loud, where art and action meet. I'm your host, Sarah Gambito. So I'm so excited to welcome um, Miranda Galindo, who is a civil rights litigator with Demos, um, and also Javier Zamora, who is a poet, author of the book Unaccompanied, and one of uh, the lead poets for uh, the Undocu Poets Project. Um, so I'm so excited to be speaking with um the two of you. So I have a couple of questions that I'll ask each of you, and then we'll kind of just open out to an open conversation. Um, so I'll begin with Miranda. So my first question um, for you is, uh, what's inspiring you right now in this sort of um, tumultuous time? Um, I have to say um, one of my favorite moments of the last few months was going to um, a Black Lives Matter um, protest in Brooklyn, New York, and seeing who the diversity of folks showing up and showing up with their kids um, and showing up from all walks of life and um, and shutting the street down with um, it, was a, it was a bicycle protest. And it was one of the most thrilling moments of my life to see um, to see folks, um, coming together and unequivocally standing against, um, these injustices by, um, you know, law enforcement and in some cases, private actors, um, who are not held accountable by, um, our justice system. And, um, that was, that was a really beautiful thing. Mm, I love it. I love it. Okay, my next question is, we're in a moment when language is being stripped of meaning, when fake news can barely be differentiated from actual fact. What is the role, do you think, of the writer, because um, uh, you are a writer as well, right, of the writer, of the poet in our moment right now, a political moment right now? A writer in the broader sense is about um, speaking to hearts and minds. And so I think so much of my challenge with my writing is that it's easy to kind of just lose your common sense and lose your heart. But I think at the core of these issues is the story of our clients. Um, and at the core of, you know, the subject matter of any writer is, um, you know, whose story are you telling and giving the, the reader and the audience um, an opportunity to see the world from, from their shoes and, um, and to really get it that there's an injustice that's, occurring and you want this um gut reaction like this is not right yeah you know and it's interesting i guess this is a comment for both of you like i've been thinking about how trump has been saying the words voting fraud like again and again and again like for the last number of weeks and i was thinking of of incantation of just mm. he repeats it enough mm -hmm. and when enough people hear it they believe that it's true and, and Javier as a poet, right? It's like, that's repetition. Like it's in, it's in your body, right? You hear it enough, you like absorb it. And there's like no truth to it, but 
people believe it as if it were true. Mm-hmm. And that language can do that. Language can cast a spell yeah. to create a reality, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. Um, and I think, Sarah, something that you and I had spoken about earlier was um, the importance of language and shaping shaping the narrative and shaping the issue. And yeah. so um, what you definitely don't want to do as a litigator is to take um, the opposing argument and and just kind of go d- go down point by point and, and have your counter argument. What you want to do is offer up an affirmative vision of how we should be looking at this issue. And within that, within the substance of that is hopefully, um, you know, addressing why the other side's position is inaccurate and why yours is accurate. But it's very important to put forth an affirmative vision of how things ought to be seen um, and not just be responsive. And so saying, for example, your example there, if he's saying voter fraud and you're saying there's no voter fraud, that's kind of feeding into that dynamic that he's already set up. It's like you kind of, you're taking the bait in a way when you mm-hmm. just respond directly to what's being said. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Um, so uh, the Poetic Justice Institute, our theme um, uh, right now is witness. Um, what do you think needs to be witnessed right now in writing or in our democratic process? And you can answer this however you want. What needs to be most witnessed right now? I think a good starting place is our personal accountability um, and in ourselves. And if we're thinking of how we want the world to be um, and who would we be in that world, I think a place to start is witnessing yourself and how are you falling short of that vision? And so personally, I've had a lot of education about um, acknowledging and trying to um, destroy the anti-Blackness that is in my own life and my own existence. I'm a Latina and there's a lot of anti-Blackness in the Latino community. Um, And then kind of from that microcosm of the self, you can go into the microcosm of um, your community and be standing up for the things that you believe in, um, calling things out where where they are amiss and, and trusting that, um, witnessing that little voice inside yourself that says something's not right with the situation um, and kind of leaning into that. I try, I think that that's one of the silver linings of being a sensitive, empathic person that's very upset by the state of the world. Is it like, that means there's something still tender inside of you that hasn't been destroyed. That's beautifully said. I think I think that's so grounding to hear right now when I feel really out of myself, really out of my body and and, mm-hmm. and really tossed around <laughs> right now. But to say like, no, what to do now is to really ground down inside of yourself and witness yourself. I love that. Um, okay. And I realized I, if I could have done this, this over again, I would have ask the question, have both of you answer instead of having it be separate like this. Um, but um, so maybe what I can do for the last question is bring both of you in and then circle back with you, Javier, on, on the other questions. But so for both of you, um, how can we bring all of us artful action into our waking lives right now? Like, what can we do right now? And you can answer it however you want, whatever comes to mind. 
it's been really tough here. <laughs> and hearing that, I just go, because I'm in Tucson now, and we went out for election day to drop off the ballot. I can't vote still, but my partner can. And I just, now I think even before we know the result of the election, I feel that the right has already won because I'm looking for signs of safety in strangers that I see. And so when I hear artful action, my, my, I don't know, my mind went to political shirts and like just any pin nowadays, if you can uh, show and you have the privilege to show your colors because the right is doing, mm -hmm. the right has have their hats. They have everything. They have like these very boisterous shirts. So as liberals, I think what we need to do, artful action would be just, again, I like what you said about grounding yourself, would be to just ground yourself and show colors of solidarity for people like myself near the border, previously undocumented, to let me know that I can, in other words, fuck with you and that I'm not scared mm -hmm. of you. So I don't know, political shirts. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. It's like, yeah, like, where's our swag? Yeah. Like. <laughs> Our swag needs to be up to up to snuff. Yeah, a sense of safety, a sense of like it's okay when we lock eyes. Yeah. It's okay. Mm -hmm. um, I can have a harbor when I see you in the street, right? Mm -hmm. um, just seeing that can be such a bomb right now when we're all so raw. Um, thank you, Javier. And and so so Miranda, how about you? Artful action again. I think you anything has to start with. Um, you know, a strong foundation of your sense of self and, um, and then just person speaking from the eye, this is like a personally very anxious time. I do this work because it in part it helps me deal with my anxiety. There's something I can kind of do. Um, and it, it can be, um, artful action to like get out of bed in the morning and make yourself a beautiful cup of coffee and, um, and to be compassionate with yourself when maybe you can't focus on your job as much. Maybe you can't be there for your partner and, um, and to give yourself that grace to, um, to, to do each little step in the day um, that helps you get through it. And mm. it's recognize recognition that, you know, we don't all have to be, Scaling racist Confederate statues, or um, making a clandestine mural, um, or you know, making the perfect um, social media posts. Um, those are certainly actions that can be artful and that are important. But um, I think having the grace to to um, know your limits, but also to know your power. I'm circling back a bit, um, Javier. What is inspiring you right now in this? crazy moment in a weird way it's inspiring to see white america and white media finally begin to understand the term latino and that we are not just one vote one race one political identity and i find it inspiring that hopefully now we're going to begin to really deconstruct the term like it needs to be. Latino is not a race. And we can see why 
white Cubans would vote for Trump. And we can see why white passing Latinos of all nationalities would vote for Trump. And I think I find that inspiring, very dark inspiration. But I think this is the beginning of what needs to happen um, to counter anti-blackness, anti-indigeneity in our own in our own ethnicity, that being Latinxes. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because to to basically lump everybody together is is erasure. It's violence, um, and to have to contend to reckon with um, uh, the complexity of what it means to be Latino. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And so similarly as well, like what do you think is, is the role of, of the poet, of the writer right now? What should writers be doing right now? Saving energy <laughs> and recording. I think it right now is a more taking notes time and preparing, mm-hmm. preparing the poems that regardless of who wins, even if Biden were to win. Um, and this goes to the witnessing, I'm uh, jumping ahead, because uh, I, I, I heard the, the questions already. Um, it would be to witness and record what is happening in order to not give, our, I'm talking as a liberal, give liberals a pass. This is clearly we're seeing that Trumpism is very much alive. Conservatism is very much alive. It's not a blue wave. And so we as writers need to hold liberals accountable so there isn't a red backlash to a Biden, a potential Biden win. And if Trump wins, we still we need to even do more work than we did the last four years because clearly we are not doing enough. We are still, everybody thought that now we're talking to each other. We're still in different camps and we need to create that conservative, liberal, uh, almost discussion. That, that's what needs to happen. And as writers, we can begin to bridge those gaps artfully because clearly whatever we're doing is not working. Liberal media says a lot of problematic shit and is racist in its own way but they think they're not. So there's this weird thing of uh, deniability that happens. And I feel as liberals, we need to call that out. And whenever I say this at readings, because this is what I've been saying at readings, they're like, but, but then the conservatives are going to look at your point and they're going to use it. I'm like, well, maybe if they use the point, conservatives are going to see that there are similarities, more similarities than we think with the left and the right or like the, the center that is still continuing to vote for Trump because there's a huge chunk of this country that does feel abandoned by the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party has abandoned them. They are not wrong to feel like this. And that's why they're voting that way. So we need to offer up something that they can bite. I'm curious what, what either of you would say to the 20 year old who's like, um, I don't even know if there's going to be a world in 10 years. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I, I don't even know how, how to scrounge up like crumbs of hope right now. 
um, when it seems like America has refused to reckon with its original sins, right? And continues to willfully close its eyes, right? Like they're being, we're being called out as a country, right? Um, and, but what they say now, right, is that the, the red part of the country is even more red, uh, and the and the blue part of the country is even more blue, right? And and what do we say to young people who are looking at all of this and are just throwing up their hands? Like, what what would you say to that twenty year old? Part of my pep talk is what I mentioned earlier, which is, you know, if you feel really unhappy and really disturbed by bad things around you happening that you witness, that's um, a sign of hope that you're not completely jaded, you're not completely nihilistic, that there's something still tender in you that um, that is affected by these things and that it's a completely reasonable, proportionate response to feel that way because things truly are on fire around us. Um, and also looking um, and so letting them know that, you know, they're not crazy um, like validating those feelings, um, first of all, um, that assuring them that they're not alone in, in that feeling. Um, and I think it does give me some comfort to look at a historical lens sometimes, like you were saying, this isn't, I don't think that, um, there's just more evil in the world today than there was four years ago. It's, um, it's taking, it's a different form. And so pointing out throughout history, um, you know, just even voter suppression, what has that looked like historically? Um, and, and how did history respond and looking at movements and, um, and looking at the role of people that are in their shoes, looking at students and how have students been powerful in these moments in the past and, and they are doing it right now. And what are the tangible effects of that activism and of that movement work and um, in contributing to that, that political thought and storytelling. Um, Javier, how about you? Similar. (laughs) I would say, sorry, because I felt like you did 10 years ago too. And we didn't, we haven't done anything, but also what Miranda was saying, um, I have therapy on Wednesdays and I'm so grateful that it was like the day after the election. And my therapist pretty much told me that because I've felt that I felt what I felt that day for years that, oh, of course, this country is still super racist. Although now it's looking more like Biden might win. We don't know, but it's still too close to call. And that, I think we all expected a blue wave. So even if Biden wins, it does not feel like a win. And I was like, am I crazy? I've been that guy who's been saying Trump is going to win again. Trump is going to win again. And I I felt like I was like, there's something wrong with me. Am I really that negative? And now it's like, my therapist was like, this is the reality. We're seeing the reality of this country. And you feel the way that you feel because it is what is happening outside. So... I'm just backing up what Miranda said. That's exactly (laughs) that shit is burning. Yeah. You don't want to have a willful blindness that it's all okay. Cause it's not. I think that that's, that's harmful to, to feel like things are fine when they're not as maybe, you know, to some extent we've got to have, you know, to survive and we've got to have some boundaries and and emotional um, 
sources of strength and safe spaces. But, um, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Javier. I wonder for both of you, what teaching or maybe what words are strengthening you or are, you know, have strengthened you? Like, what do you, what do you call back to? Um, I heard a story, I, so I didn't personally witness this, but I have gotten the pleasure of meeting Dolores Huerta a few times, but I wasn't there when she supposedly said this. But I think, I believe that this was in the context of um, some advocates speaking together after the Trump election and someone communicated to Dolores, like, oh, I am so scared and so upset um, that Trump has won and just feeling like, I just want to throw my hands up. Um, and um, Dolores responded, oh, this is when it gets fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like finding the the joy and the playful space in resistance and um, feeling like I really feel like we're on the right side of justice and looking back historically and just thinking like, oh, those heroes who marched on Selma. And that was like, and like, okay, this is my chance now to step up and let's have fun with this. And like, let's, you know, whatever it is, am I going to paint a big banner? Am I going to create some, some gesture? Am I going to draft a bill? Um, you know, am I going to get all my friends to vote um, and get them to the polls? Like, are you going to have fun with it? Like, this is an opportunity to be, to look back and tell our, 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 um, you know, grandkids that I was there and this is what I was doing. And like, you know, we might all have um, some, some heroes of our ancestors and seeing their flair from that time and be like, oh, wow, you were there. And so just thinking like, okay, there's like, there's a, uh, an opportunity to, to have a lot of fun with this resistance. I love that. I love that word fun because it's like, oh, okay, now we're going to rumble, right? Like, it's like, I'm ready for this. What, okay, what about you, Javier? What's coming up for you? For me, like, I'm, I moved to Tucson to finish this memoir. Uh, I'm writing about the time. I'm writing about crossing the desert as a nine-year-old when I was uh, in 1999 through the Sonoran Desert. And I think the metaphor for me that I'm finding is twofold. And it's funny because I, we live near a, a trail and the night of the election, I just couldn't bear being in, in the house at like 1am. So I went for a night uh, hike and I just remember, and every time I've only been here a month and in my head, you think desert and you think that there's no life. Even me crossing it, I think my memory was lying to me. I was like, oh, how could I survive? And then you encounter, we've encountered so much wildlife, so much life. We've encountered so many flowers. Just like nature is almost telling you, you're, you have to dig deeper. We are here and there is hope. Um, and it just rained once, but what one little like 20 minute rain has made things bloom. And so I think that's all we need. And that's what's giving me hope. And from a personal memory, I didn't remember how beautiful this landscape was. All I went to was the trauma. And now I'm revisiting it and it's like, oh wait, it actually is fucking pretty. It's not only the bad, but we have to remember the good. And 
know how to put two together in order to literally walk forward, which is what I did as a little kid. I just kept on walking and I am here and I am thriving. And it some days are harder. Like these last three days have been fucking terrible, but I'm still going to continue to walk forward. Thank you both so much for this. I'm deeply grateful to the two of you for leaning into this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us at Poets Out Loud. Find us on Instagram at poetic underscore justice underscore institute.